0: Welcome back to the United Masterclass, a tactical podcast about Manchester United. I'm your host, Hader Abani, and I'm joined as ever by Rob Blanchett. Rob, United are making a habit, aren't they, of winning games? They claim the gutsy victory against West Ham. Leapfrogging Chelsea into the fifth with just three points behind Tottenham, who are in third. Not too far behind City and Arsenal. Marcus Rashford with the match-winning goal. 100 goals after Man United, an amazing achievement. 21st player to do that disjointed I'll be honest the performance there was actually a lot of wrong uh you know United couldn't keep the ball there was a lack of control but this is one of those performances which actually you can take a lot from what United did and the players did they showed immense fight immense character David de Gea with a masterclass saved United at the end I'm really really happy with what I'm seeing you can have the tactics which we will talk about but you also need the team spirit which we haven't seen from these lads in a long long time so I'm delighted I and mean, loving watching United again. And it's uh, it's great to see the togetherness in this squad.
1: Yeah, well, obviously, we're a tactical podcast, so we're going to break down all of the tactics from the match because it was quite a fascinating game when you looked at the way it unfolded. You know, it wasn't the greatest football match in the world, but you could kind of see how it swung one way and the other. But I think what was really interesting, as you just said there, and you know, what what we can't analyze here is the intangibles about Manchester United looking like they've grown a pair. Now, I'll put that very, you know, in that in that way, because this is the issue I think we've had with United over their courage over the last one, two, three, four years, like going back, you know, does this team really want to win football matches? Well, you won this game against West Ham because you wanted it. So that in itself is something we can't measure. But it's a feel-good factor, isn't it? So ironically, you know, at the at the final whistle when we're walking out of the stadium, we all felt so good, not just because we'd won the game, but how we'd won the game, that you'd got away with it, that your goalkeeper had played a blinder, that you had to defend and you had to defend and you had to defend, and you win 1-0. And as I always say, 1-0 is always good enough. You don't need to win 2-0, 3-0, 10-0 every week. 1-0 gets you three points. So that was the most, I think, pleasing part of, the overall uh, uh, the overall kind of review of the performance, but we're going to kind of really, really kind of get into some dissection now because I think we're starting to see after, you know, almost a dozen games plus going forward, we're seeing now what Ten Hag wants to do with this team tactically and, that, and things are repeating themselves now week after week. So we can now kind of look at those things a little bit more forensically.
0: And that's it. You know, we're seeing the foundations, we're seeing, you know, repetition, we're seeing the players understand their roles, we're seeing solid performances, and we're seeing what Ten Hag wants to do. I think that's the biggest thing, the identity. So, guys, today on the show, we will talk about the match summary briefly. We'll talk about 4-2-3-1 versus 4-1-2-3, because Ten Hag played with those two systems during the game. Fullback numbers, Sean Dallo, fantastic performances, been really good this season, so we'll talk about them. We'll also talk about the forward metrics, so Rashford and Ronaldo two differences we'll look and drill into the numbers as well because i think there'll be some interesting findings from there then we will talk about bruno fernandez i know rob's got a uh, he's got a few things to say about positioning his attitude he caught a few things i think a few others might have done as well we'll talk about that right at the end of the show but guys make sure you hit the like button hit the subscribe button give us a follow on at may mc give me a follow on at hater underscore rebinding and give rob a follow on at underscore rob underscore b let's go straight into it rob as usual, the graphic from SofaScore, you can see Man United started with a 4-2-3-1. Surprising with the selection, actually. I wasn't too confident when I saw it. We saw Harry Maguire come in. We know that Rafa Varane's injured, which is a shame. Lindelof is ill. So Maguire comes in. Um, you're having a look at the midfield. Eriksen and Casemiro playing in midfield. And then Alanga starting on the right-hand side. Again, a little bit of surprise. I wasn't expecting to see Garnaccio. Had a really good game in the midweek, but wasn't expecting that. Sancho, obviously sitting on the bench, and then Cristiano Ronaldo up top. Again, I wasn't actually expecting him to start. So when I saw that side, I was a little bit, uh, I I was a bit um, concerned because I think there was a few things that I thought might play out. I think they did during the game. So what were your thoughts on the initial selection?
1: Yeah, well, obviously the first thing was that Anthony wasn't playing, wasn't it? So we kind of looked at that and thought, right, what's he going to do? So obviously Anthony was out uh, injured, not available. So Alanga came in. So this was, I think, the shape of the team. It was based around that, is that. You had some pace on that right inside. Obviously what what trying to duplicate what Anthony does for you. But of course Alanga is not as good as Anthony, is he? So I, I, I'm not quite sure whether Ronaldo would have started. I think Ronaldo started... Because of that change, you time to just make sure that you've got more potency in your attack. Uh, push Rashford, obviously, to the left. Kept Sancho on the bench. Not surprised that Sancho didn't play. Not surprised Garnaccio didn't play. And when you look at this kind of shape, this kind of 4-2-3-1, this is all variations of 4-3-3. So what, what is this manager trying to do? It's exactly what he did at Ajax. Um, didn't play a defined 4-3-3. On the other side here, it says that West Ham played 4-2, 3-1. Well, to the eye, they played 4-4-2. You know, when you're at the stadium and you can see them set up and it's quite clear, they played a 4-4-2. It was kind of a a mid-block trying to to hurt United moving the ball around. And and it worked for, for large parts of the game. But Cristiano up top means that you can't press. That was something we'll talk about a little bit more today. Um, and he switched between these systems of four-two-three-one and four-one-two-three, which are very close to themselves. But we're going to kind of show you with the graphics a bit later on about the differences in those systems. But these are the two systems now that we're seeing in the Premier League constantly going from one to the other in games, changing starting games differently, and it's the core difference between possession football and pressing football. Those two things. You separate them with these two different formations. And you see with Ten Hag, in a match, when he goes from one to the other, you know exactly what he wants to do. So you don't need to read his mind. You don't need to know everything about football tactics. You just need to know that these are the two formations that he uses when he's trying to keep the ball or when he's trying to push up the pitch.
0: I think the positive thing, Rob, is that you know, there's an identity. You know, we talk about this a lot. There's yeah. solid identities, a solid foundation, a solid framework, and then they're interchangeable. And these players should be able to go from four-two-three-one 3 to four-one-two-three to four-two-three all in the space of 90 minutes. It shouldn't be a problem. They should be able to rotate. They should be able to mm-hmm. seamlessly slip in. The players should know their roles. So I think, you know, we're only 12 games into the Premier League season and t- 10 hogs reign. You know, we're looking at two, three months in. Uh, so we are seeing those foundations. I think that's a positive thing. What I do want to quickly touch on is something that surprised me when I went to look back at the statistics. The man United had more shots. It didn't really feel like that, did it? If you looked at that second half, I mean second half was really poor. A lot of comments here, Alan saying, you know, second half was scary. Ten Hag mentioned after the game, the ball retention was poor, some horrible passing at times. We did see that. Um, but United did have 16 chances, 14 from open play. They're creating chances. The conversion is poor, six percent. They had a, you know, Ronaldo had three chances. We saw Fred with the chances. That has been one of the United's problems, hasn't it? it? that killing the game when you're on top?
1: Just the attack is stagnant. So, you know, you're looking at the conversion rate there. United's 6% conversion rate. Obviously, West Ham 0 as they didn't score. But this, again, is a repeated problem. Is that United are actually creating the chances. So your midfield's doing the work. You're finding the forwards. and And the midfield itself is pushing up to help with that. Uh, to get sh- shots and opportunities, you said Fred hit the post when he came on with a with a header. Um, but I think when you kind of look at the stats, you look at kind of what you expect from Cristiano. Is that you you, you hear this mythology all the time, don't you? If Cristiano gets that chance, he scores. He isn't. No, he isn't, and he and and he's not actually looking like he's going to score. A lot of these chances where he's in the box and the ball comes to him, he looks rushed. He looks confused sometimes. He's not the player that everyone remembers and he just isn't. And it's difficult because he's trying to be the best version of himself. This is why I'm not, I'm not here to slate Cristiano. I'm trying, I'm looking at the factual sides of the game, but the good thing is with United is that there are players in this midfield and the attack who are starting to thrive. Obviously Marcus Rashford's one of them. And we hope Anthony Martial will be one when he comes back as well. But there's a balance here, isn't it? Because, there's no doubt with United again when you look at the stats, the players suffering when they play together is Bruno and Ronaldo but when you take Ronaldo out, Bruno gets better. So this is something that we'll have to discuss I think weeks week and analyze it. but when you looked at the numbers there yeah West Ham it felt like the Alamo in the second half. the game management from Manchester United was absolutely abysmal like they got the ball there would be like five on three in, in our in our kind of favor. And we'd give the ball away. And you'd be like, what are you doing? Just play the ball with the corner flag if you have to. Just go and work the game out. You know what I mean? But United couldn't do that. So I think Ten Hag would have been pulling his hair out like I was. And I think when you look at the game, you can't be happy about that part of it. But you can be happy that you won 1-0 and that you kept fighting to the final whistle.
0: Rob, we'll, we'll touch on Ronaldo in more detail. So I have got a few things to say on that. But we'll talk. Yeah. We have got a segment, obviously, on Rashford and Ronaldo. I do want to talk about Maguire very briefly because I felt like really deep into that second half when we were having to clear crosses coming in, he came into his element. He he was very commanding. He was he was brilliant. I felt like in that first half it might be rustiness, but this is why he doesn't start. You know, the you saw it twice, didn't you? Where West Ham broke. He's so in agile on that halfway line. He's just like he had Lissandro behind him, Martinez. You know, to clean, to clean up. But we saw why because of his lack of agility. He can't play in this system, in my opinion. And unfortunately, because I think he did have a very good second half in terms of you know being you know commanding his box, helping the hair and all that sort of stuff. I thought he was very good. And there's some great headers, great defensive headers, great effort from that defense as a whole in that second half. But I felt like United lacked that control as well, as well, mm-hmm. because he was he was nervous on the ball. Depending on that right-hand side of the defense, obviously he prefers the left-hand side. But he made a couple of wayward passes forward. I didn't feel he was as progressive, you know, on that right-hand side. I felt he was nervous. He was making me nervous. I tweeted during the game saying he's making me nervous. I don't know what it was like in the ground for you. So I feel like that performance didn't surprise me because in key areas, you had players, in my opinion, that don't have a long-term future at the club starting week in, week out. Ronaldo, I would say, uh, I'm not going to say Alanga because, you know, he did what he had to do on that right-hand side. We know that he does lack a little bit of quality in the ball. But Maguire was the other one. There were two key positions right at the top of the pitch, and at the back of the pitch for Man United,
1: yeah, I think the thing is with Maguire, and you said it there, and I think it's it's Maguire in a nutshell is that, that he's like a forklift truck, he literally is just like ooh, 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 to turn around, and the ball's gone, and the opposition are on you, and the counter attack's flying, and he's then chugging back, it's just way too late. Um, thankfully, West Ham, not particularly the greatest counter-attacking team in the world, not blessed with out-and-out pace through the centre. So I think we got away with that, you know, and I think that kind of suited Maguire. I think, you know, I just read there in, in the comments there, I thought Maguire was solid for the game. I thought he did okay, and when he needed to block shots, he managed to get blocks in. But you could see how rusty he was, so rusty. And I think that he will have a problem in this type of system, because and so we're going to talk a little bit more about systems in a minute, but it's about how the shape at the back is and what you do from the back. And in the first half, it was quite embarrassing. I'm sure everyone kind of remembered the kind of the, the keep ball between Martinez. <laughs> and, and Maguire. Oh, and
0: it's
1: going, it was going yeah, like this and it was literally in front of us. And we were yeah. like really deep as well. What are they doing? Like, yeah. like what is this? You know, so that was in the part of the game when United were playing possession football in a four-two-three-one. So that was the possession side of it. Don't give the ball away at all costs. Keep the ball, keep the ball, keep the ball. So they did that. But it meant that you kind of had very little progression through that midfield. And it meant that Ericsson had to go for a little bit of a wander to try and find a bit more space. And Casemiro several times. And Casemiro dropped. And I saw Casemiro wasn't particularly good on the ball in this game. He gave the ball away a lot. And also in the second half, gave away quite a few silly free kicks in the wrong side of the half, allowing West Ham, obviously, to be able to get forward very quickly. So not one of Casemiro's best games and not one of Ericsson's best games. I think the midfield did kind of fail in this game because they didn't keep the ball successfully. But uh, I don't know. I don't want to talk too much about Harry Maguire because I think he's a footnote in this game. You know, like he needs to get more games under his belt. He needs to play more minutes and he needs to see if he can assimilate. One thing he cannot do, Haydar, is run faster. He can't do it. He is a forklift truck. That's the way it's going to be. So, you got, yeah, what do forklift trucks do? They do heavy loading, don't they? So, that's what you need to do in Maguire. You need to use him to be the guy at the back that maybe takes the weight off when, when, when you're sitting deeper and when you're playing maybe a lower block. But the point is, this manager's not going to play that kind of system. So, um, Jews out on Harry Maguire. I know people want him gone, but he's at the football club. As long as you've got Rafael Varane as one of your starting centre-backs, you're going to need a backup. And if your backup is Harry Maguire or Victor Lindelof, we're not going to like it, but we're going to have to lump it because you need someone to do that job as it stands. So Maguire will definitely be at the football club until till next season, at the very, very least. Um, is he going to be a starter when everyone's fit? That's on him, isn't it? If he plays well in the next few games or say he goes to the World Cup as a stormer, England win the World Cup, Harry Maguire's there with the trophy in Qatar. What are you going to say when he comes back? You can't play, you know? So th- th- that these these realities could actually happen, even though they feel very far away and, like, mystical. Um, so let's see with Harry Maguire. I think he's going to have time under this manager to prove himself. Because I think one thing we have seen in the past is that Ten Hag does play with centre-backs, but not particularly fast. He has done that. So could he do that with Harry Maguire? But they're really
0: good. They're really good at reading the game. They're really good at defending the but, space. But, but, that's but supposedly that's but that's so, supposedly
1: so well. what Maguire's good at. Supposedly. I know we don't see it, but every manager that's worked with him and players at work with him go, oh, he's so good at reading the game, so good at playing out from the back. with well, split like, is he? Well, that's what people are telling you. But Varan, the difference is, hey, does Varan's got recovery pace? Frank gives a ball away. He's going to run someone down. So that's important. Same with Martinez, isn't it? Is that he'll run that player down. Doesn't matter how tall he is. He's going to go and do that work. So let's see what happens with Harry Maguire.
0: Well, let's talk about these formations. Let's start with the four two three one because that's what United started with. Yeah. So as you can see here, you know. Pretty, pretty straightforward. You know, we saw Rashford coming in. We saw, you know, Casemiro dropping back, Dalot inverted, you know, Elanga working really hard on that right-hand side, holding the width. Mm-hmm. You, know, you had Luke Shaw, who was you know, not going forward as much, but he was getting involved in the build-up. Ericsson trying to make things happen. <sighs> At times, it was, United did well. They fashioned chances. They did, you know, they created chances. But it, it for me, it still, was, it still wasn't right. You know, I, yeah. I felt that Maybe it's because we had two or three changes in the side, but I didn't think that United were as free-flowing. And then we did see later on, we'll talk about it. But he did go, uh, Denhag did go to the four, one, two, three.
1: Yeah, so as I said, we talked a little bit at the start show about the difference between four, two, three, one and this being their possession system. Uh, it's not a lot of difference, is it? It's the difference of playing the number six and not playing the number six effectively. So here we got the double pivot going back to a system that all United fans know really, really well. But of course, you're playing Ericsson in there, a bit more of a ball player, obviously the McFred. But you look at this kind of four, two, three, one, and it's about where do you overload? Where do you keep the numbers? So you, you overload in the half spaces on the left and the right, and you kind of overload in the middle of the pitch. Martinez, Maguire, Ericsson, and Casemiro end up being like a box four. There's four of them there, and they look after that bit of the pitch. They're saying to West Ham, if you want to get at us, you got to go down the channels. That's how you got to play. So nothing kind of groundbreaking about this, but this is again exactly what Ten Hag did. Iax, this was a familiar system. He would kind of play with a full system with a nine dropping out. You would have wide players keeping really wide, holding that uh holding that space, and then really fullbacks being more like wing backs. This is kind of where Luke Shaw comes into it a little bit more. Luke Shaw can do that, could do it really well. Delow, we talk about as being a progressive fullback, not really showing that in his numbers, but is definitely defensively better than he ever was. Say six months ago, the big issue, the reason why I didn't want Delo anywhere near the first team, he's just so defensively brittle, a real problem that has gone away a little bit now. Not not nearly as kind of risky. And I think obviously Delo is better with Varane inside him than he is with Maguire. So, like you just said there, enforced changes, Alanger coming in, a bit more straight line speed. When you looked at Alanger's numbers actually after the game were pretty good. People got saying, uh, I heard a lot of people going, oh, he's rubbish, he's this, he's that, the other. You look at his metrics, he didn't give the ball away a lot. He actually did the run-in, and he was one of the few that was kind of pressing up that side. It, Both that's him-
0: really good. a really good part of his game, Rob. So it's a
1: good part of his game, so, but we do know that a isn't Anthony. Anthony is a £80-90 Brazilian, and a isn't. So this is the problem. I think United fans with expectations quite often go, oh, well, why is that not working this week? because it's a completely different footballer doing it so Elanga's numbers i think on the night on the day were acceptable but i think also when he went off that allowed united to switch systems to this next system that we're about to show you which is four one two three so this is this is something that we're seeing united do a lot of now this system of playing what I call the modern number six. So Casemiro Casemiro kind of coming back in, doing all that work there in front we of You can only
0: play that as well, Rob, because of Casemiro
1: only because you got Casemiro and you could look, you could play it with someone else. You just, you just won't play it as well. It's just as simple as that. So, you know, like this is what they wanted to do with De that So De Jong would have been the guy in front of Martinez Maguire, picking the ball up here and being the Carrick, but you haven't, you know, this is a different kind of style. What does this allow you to do? Well, this kind of this, this more 4 one as I said before, ends up being more like a four-one-five. Yes, this is what you do when you're pressing up the pitch. United switched to this after 60 minutes. Obviously, Alanger came off. There was a few changes. McTominay came into the team. It's quite weird seeing McTominay being like the driving number eight in the side. Like, that's what he was doing. Getting the ball, passing it, and driving forward. And you were like, whoa. But he likes doing that. And we know he's actually... All right, at doing that, getting towards the edge of the box. The big problem with this system, and I think this is why United didn't start with this system, is the bloke at the very, very top. Now you see the arrows I've put in there; they're kind of quite loose, but this is kind of what I could see at Old Trafford from my seat. You can see Rashford, McTominay, even Ericsson to a point, and Casemiro coming when there's actually space forward, all moving forward. But there's only one guy kind of going backwards. There's your number nine. Cristiano dropping out way too often, just abd- what I call abdicating the area. You know, I want Cristiano playing on the last man, but he realises that if he plays on the last man, he's probably going to get caught offside a lot. So what does he do? He just drops 20, 20 30 metres. And you think, now we've got no one to pass to. Like, there's no, there's, no one, there's no runner through there. There's no third man runner. There's no striker. So the system worked for about 10 minutes and then West Ham worked it out. West Ham went, they're pressing us. So we're going to counter-press. And then when we get the ball in midfield, we've, we're going to do the numbers game. And that's really how the game panned out as West Ham got those opportunities because they were outnumbering United. It made life difficult for Casemiro. Sure and Deleuze had to be more defensive. And that's, of course, where Maguire then gets exposed, isn't it? Because he's not quick. So that was kind of a game of two halves. But this is the system that we are seeing more from Man United now when they want to press. And I think we're going to see this a lot. But it won't be with Ronaldo at the very top end of the pitch. If you can imagine this with either, say, Rashford at the top or Martial at the very top or a brand-new striker, you know, when, when, the, when the transfer window's open, it's like Osserman or someone like that of that calibre, you could put through the middle. And then you could bring Sancho like, back to the team, either on the left, you'd have Anthony in there, and Bruno would come central again, wouldn't he? So all of those bits is just moving the pieces around to see if you can do it. The truth is... This didn't really work on the day because you you just couldn't pass the ball through. McTominay, Bruno, Ronaldo all couldn't keep the ball if they tried. And then you took Eriksen off to try and shore it up to have a little bit more energy because he didn't have a good game. And United just gave the ball away so much over and over again. It was so frustrating to watch. But we are seeing a philosophy at least. This is something that you can work towards. And you can see that the players are drilled in it. They're doing it pretty well off the ball. So off the ball, the system's working. On the ball, it's not working because some of these players have got two left feet.
0: Rob, it's, it's positive, as you mentioned, we're seeing a pattern. So remember the Everton game. I like to say this is a 3-1-6 build-up formation, right? You have Martinez, Casemiro, let's say Varane or Maguire. And then you have all the other players pushing up. You have Shaw providing width. You know, Diallo can come inside, but, you know, sometimes he'll push out wide as well. The wide players will stay wide. You have Ericsson and let's say Bruno operating in, you know, sort of the sort of half spaces and then whoever plays number nine. Usually we've seen Martial or Rashford play and I think they do it better, don't they? Like you said, they play on that that last man. But I think the biggest positive thing is is that you know that if United have to now break down the side that are going to sit a little bit deeper, maybe play in the mid-block, United... Seem the players seem like they've been coached to be like right okay this is what we got to do move the ball quickly obviously movement they switch it overload. so th- that's the biggest positive thing for me we've seen over the last let's say we saw it under Oli as well where whenever a team would sit deep <laughs> against United oh God it'd be such a such a struggle to break them down you know yeah. once they took out the opportunity for United to counter attack on the side so I think this is a positive thing about what Ten Hag's done when he's come in is that we have seem to understand that right if a team sits deep we'll either we'll press them up higher up as well so that we win the ball back higher and we'll overload those wide areas so I, I'm really happy with what I'm seeing so far to be honest
1: yeah I'm happy with it as well and as I said I think one of United's big downfalls over a long period of time has been off ball so what do you do off the ball you know it's as important as being on the ball sometimes you know you have to have a shape and a function and a plan it, ironically here, you know McFred ends up on the pitch didn't they in a kind of latter stages of the game as two number eights. So this this whole kind of thing of worried about them being deep as a double pivot of four, two, three, one kind of gets mitigated by that. You let Casemiro go and do that worrying. And Casemiro, as I said, not his best game for me. You know, I think you know, some incessant fouling in the second half around the halfway line when he didn't need to. It did feel like the referee was on his back quite a bit. You know, every time we touched the ball, we seemed to seem to blow a whistle and kind of have a go at Casemiro and say, no, it's a foul. But having Fred and McTominay further forward when you're trying to press and push the game further away from your goal is a good tactic. But the problem is that once it gets through all of that lot, that you're kind of exposed, aren't you? And this is what happened with West Ham. And if you don't have David De Gea being peak De Gea, you know, five-time player of the season David De Gea in the week where he's just got left out of the World Cup squad for Spain, I think you've got a guy there who's obviously trying to prove himself for a new contract because his contract's coming up. And he's trying to show that, yeah, I'm not the greatest on the floor. You know, it's a problem, isn't it? You know, passing the ball, but I'm getting better at it. But to tell you what, I'm going to save you when you need it. And it was quite interesting to hear the manager speak about De Gea afterwards and explain how amazing he thinks De Gea is. You know, it wasn't someone that he doesn't like or, you know, he he, he messes my system up from the back. He was like, David De Gea... Is an amazing goalkeeper and I love him. And he, you know, he's a senior player. And, you know, I'm into David De Gea. It's quite clear. So is there a chance for De Gea to stay at the football club? Possibly. But I do think that De Gea still has way too many deficiencies to say that he's your long term number one.
0: Well, Reb, let's talk about it. Let's talk about David De Gea because mm-hmm. we've got a graphic here up on the screen. You can see the numbers. We'll go through some of them in a second. But, you know, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see that his numbers are poor very very poor compared to other goalkeepers in europe you know across uh, the top five leagues
1: this but is premier league this is a acro- this, this is just across okay. the premier league across yeah. the premier
0: League. okay so that, that's again that's the, they're still bad bad numbers um you can see also the heat map against west ham you know he's very rarely leaving his box um he did actually sweep and he has added that to his game this season so if you ask me david here should you he get a new contract Hmm. i i it's a tough one for me because i think united need a new keeper and i think that they need a more ball playing keeper more modern keeper in my opinion but i have seen improvements in david de gea this season you know he's coming off his line a lot more to sweep uh he looks like he's he has improved his passing he's still not great at it but he has got better uh we're seeing obviously de gea masterclass title this show he was fantastic yesterday with some of his saves but when you look at the underlying metrics, you know the eye test is matching up with that. We're seeing here, in terms of you know his save percentage isn't particularly high as well, thirtieth percentile touches, thirtieth percentile. So he's not really you know getting involved in the build up. I'd like to actually see what that is like compared to someone like Allison or Edison, and uh, you know he clean sheets he's doing well this season. Crosses stopped. 5th percentile defensive actions outside the penalty area 30th percentile that's definitely improved from last season i remember seeing something he was below the 10th percentile for that he's getting out of his box you know he is actually uh sweeping he's clearing into touch uh, and his average dist- dist- distance of defensive actions as well as 48th percentile so he has improved in that area but that's still a long way back it is it is inhibiting united's ability to be able to play out from the back and completely dominate because we've seen in a couple of games Chelsea was one of them, you know, after Kovacic came on. We saw him launching the ball forward. You saw against Arsenal. That's a 50-50 ball then. Then United have to win the second ball. If they don't win that, that immediately puts United back under pressure. They have to get back into defensive shape. So when we look at David Hay, I think people misconstrue it. He's a good goalkeeper. You know, he's he's, he's a very good goalkeeper in terms of reflexes and saves. But if United want to totally dominate in every single phase... They have to have a keeper that allows them to build out from the back and be comfortable doing that, to have sustained pressure. The best sides in the Premier League, the best sides in Europe, right now the two best sides are Arsenal and Man City. Their goalkeepers are competent, very good on the ball, and they allow Arsenal and Man City to have sustained pressure because even if it goes back to the keeper, they're able to pass it out, start attacks again. And that's what a modern football team has to do. And that's why David De Gea has to be replaced as the number one. If he's happy to sit on the bench and he takes a, a, you know, a wage wage card, I'm happy to see him stay because you know, he's he's been fantastic over this this decade. But if he's not happy to do that, it's time to go, unfortunately. And I hate saying that because he's been that one player, hasn't he, since Sir Alex that's actually earned that wage. You know, we had a couple of seasons without David De Gea, we thought where we would be. But United have to push sentiment to one side. They need a modern goalkeeper. We'll talk about one as well to compare with De Gea. And I think maybe time is up with, for him now.
1: Yeah, I once wrote that, for me, you know, my life as a Manchester United fan, the best goalkeeper I've ever seen at Manchester United in all those years was David De Gea. And I was lucky enough to see Peter Schmeichel in the flesh many, many times. So people are a bit like, well, you're mad, aren't you? Because Schmeichel's better. Now, I think De Gea... and the Sar as well,
0: Rob. Of, I think, better for,
1: and better than Van der Sar. So, like, you know, those three are the, are the, are the three goalkeepers, aren't they? Of course, over the, the past X amount of years. Uh, and at the very best, they were world-class and and best-in-class of what they did. Um, But for me, David De Gea, so many games, I've seen him save United in a way that Peter Schmeichel never really did. So for me, David De Gea will always have that kind of status, that legendary status. Two things. These metrics absolutely stink to high heaven. You know, if you looked at this and it was at another football club for another goalkeeper, you'd be like, what are they doing? So that's a problem, first of all. David De Gea, you know, as I said, he got you the points against West Ham, but David De Gea is finished at the very top level for us, definitely. You know, if you want to win stuff and you want to be in the top one or two or three and you're going that way, David De Gea, unfortunately, isn't the guy who you can keep around. Look at the metrics. The metrics tell you everything. They match the eye test. As you said there, definitely better on the ground this year, uh, passing. But some look at some of the rest of this. Crosses stopped, bottom fifth percentile, touches 30. So it shows he doesn't really touch the ball a lot anyway. Um, Even saves, you know, like not great save percentage for a goalkeeper, you know. But the one thing this year, so th- these metrics are based on a thousand minutes of football that he's played this year in the premier league. And I broke it down like that deliberately. because not no point looking at last year or the last 10 years. All oh, that's rubbish. It's now, now is what matters. You look at kind of some of these numbers in the current day, the most impressive one there, of course, is clean sheets. So 82nd percentile. So he's right up there. So he'll be saying to his manager, well, look what I'm doing. May United at the moment, only conceded one goal in the last six in all competitions. David De Gea has played all those games. David De Gea is feeling pretty good about himself for, for the right reasons. But I think overall, if you want to be a modern football team, you need you need a player at the back that can help those centre-backs. You know, we just talked about Maguire and Martinez passing the ball back and forwards to each other yesterday. Do you know why that was? It's because they didn't have a goalkeeper behind them they could do it with. If there's three of them, they play out from the back, the strikers get overloaded, there's nowhere to go, and those three just pass round. Yeah, That's what Liverpool do. That's what City do. One extra man there means everything, but De Gea can't do that. So De Gea is definitely playing outside his box more this year and starting out there, but he's never going to be that guy, that cat that gets off his line quickly and, you know, makes that clearance or makes that amazing pass. It's just never going to happen. And I think of a player, Haydar's on £375,000 a week, and I think he was worth that contract when he got that contract. I think now you need to get that contract off your books. So you need a goalkeeper on less money and you need to invest some of those wages in other parts of the pitch?
0: Absolutely spot on. And when I look at the, what's the standard Rob? I think the best goalkeeper in the world right now is, is Alisson. I think he's, uh, he, yeah. I mean, look, he's saving Ars- uh, Arsenal. sorry, saving Liverpool at the minute, obviously yeah. from with his, he's been very good at his saves and, and mm-hmm. shot stopping, but he's just absolutely well-class at his distribution, well-class with the ball at his feet. He collects uh, off his line as well. So, that's what United need to be going for.
1: Mm-hmm. And when you
0: look at Pep Guardiola making a big decision, obviously he got rid of Joe Hart, went for Bravo, and then a year later got Edison. Arsenal with Ramsdale, you know, Leno seemed to be the number one there. Uh, Arteta comes in, makes that change. We see that as well with, with Liverpool as well. We saw Carius and Allison it's so crucial nowadays that you have a goalkeeper that allows you to, to play out from the back and to be able to do those things that a modern goalkeeper needs to be able to do. So when you're having a look at it, this could be the turning point for Manchester United, I think in terms of settling the, the centre-backs down as well, allowing us to keep the ball better in those dying embers of the game as well, because you know that, you know, your goalkeeper can, can do that. So it, it, there's a lot, there's a lot to sort of digest with David De Gea because there are improvements this season, but We also have to look at where United are going, where Ten Hag wants to go. And and I think United need to then now move away. And I'm going to bring up the keeper that we've been very heavily linked with. uh, Diogo Costa from Porto. Fantastic goalkeeper. I'm going to throw out a stat that I know that you didn't want me to, or didn't like me throwing out saying he saved 18 penalties. You know, you're not that interested in that. But that's still incredible in, in the last year. 18 penalties. The comment here from Alan saying, I know penalties a coin toss, but given his reactions, I'm amazed De Gea isn't better at saving them. Every time De Gea has a penalty, we saw against Jorginho at the Chelsea game. I didn't think he was gonna save it. I think saved maybe two or three in the last six, seven, eight years. Not good enough. We know the final of the Europa League. So that's a bonus. But just looking here on the screen at some of his, you know, his metrics. I mean, look, he's say he's his save percentage is uh sorry, clean sheet percentage is very, very good, 78th percentile. Touches 88th. Mm-hmm. That was a key one for me when having a look at this. Cross has stopped as well, 78%. Off, so he's getting off his uh, his line as well. And uh, you're looking as well at goals against Porto have been very, very good. The, you know, he's he's a very good goalkeeper. He's 23 years old, I believe, as well. He's he's got a release call of 60 million. United almost have a free run. You look across Europe at all the other top clubs, they seem to have their goalkeepers locked in. So it's it's actually an obvious, obvious transfer for Manchester United with potential huge returns because he could be the goalkeeper for five six seven years when i'm having a look at this and i'm looking at the hierarchy of who united should be bringing in where they need to improve goalkeeper is actually very very high for me you know strikers now emerge as a position i thought you know a progressive midfielder was the most important one i think that's actually dropped down maybe to number three on the list i think you go striker goalkeeper progressive midfielder right back but all in all, you know, if you can bring in someone like Diogo Costa or someone of that caliber who has those characteristics of Allison and Edison, that will go a huge way into helping Ten Hag implement this system.
1: Definitely. And like these metrics are the opposite of De Gea's metrics. So this is based on the Portuguese league. So it's based on nearly again, another thousand minutes. It's very similar to De Gea. And when you kind of look at this stuff, the most obviously the one that jumps out there is touches. So this is a guy that's involved. He's always involved. And I was think the goalkeepers now in modern game, they're, they're involved in all phases of play. So this is not about playing out from the back. This is about everything. How do you get going quickly? How do you take advantage maybe of a long pass? You know, you see that with Edison all the time, don't you? He picks the ball up and he looks like Michael Carrick and kind of plumps it into the channel. And someone runs on and then gives it to Harden and Harden scores. And you think, oh, oh, God, here we go. So United need a goalkeeper that can do that. Interesting here, like as I said to you, I think off camera and I've said before, green doesn't always mean good and red doesn't always mean bad, right? So average length of goal kicks, so he's in the bottom 30 of percent. Why is that? It's because he can pass the ball. He doesn't need to go long, he just plays it 15, 20 yards accurately. A thousand times. So that's what you want De Gea to do, isn't it? But De Gea can't do that, not consistently. Could do it sometimes, just can't do it all the time, especially against teams that press. Makes it very hard for David De Gea. But I think Costa's the obvious one here. There are plenty of good goalkeepers in Europe, plenty of good goalkeepers in the Premier League. So Costa's not the only guy out there. But I do think Costa's the guy whose stock is at the very highest at the moment. If you could get a player like him for 60 million, you're laughing. That's what you want. You want a goalkeeper. You just said he's 23. He's six foot three, Hadar. He plays like he's five foot eight. That's what you want. You want someone who's comfortable on the deck and can do all of that stuff, can come for crosses and be the big man, but ultimately is just like a ball player from the back area, like a sweeper, sweeper keeper as we call them now, isn't it? So I think all his metrics are great, but also the items, like you said, 18 penalties. That is cool. That is a really good stat to have to be a, a penalty specialist. Um, but it is a coin toss to me. Like, you know, he might have the next 50 penalties. Might, they might all go in the back of the net and we'll go, is he rubbish at penalties now? Well, no, it's just because someone took them better. It's just the way it goes. <laughs> the goalkeeper's always disadvantaged against um, a striker who's taking the penalty, but the difference is, is your footwork. So I think someone like uh, Costa's is so much superior to say, like De Gea, who's on his line but can't come with his line anymore because you get called for it. Whereas maybe in years gone by, you didn't get called for it. Someone like Costa can dance on the line and make, make, put players off for, for penalties. But just a really, really good goalkeeper. We put him in here because it's important that De Gea was for me the man of the match. Undoubtedly, you know, I think he saves you in the game. But I do think the days of David De Gea are coming to an end.
0: Let's move on, Rob. Two. The fullbacks, because I think this has been a huge, huge cornerstone of why Manchester United have been able to put a good run together. Why Ten Hag has been able to, you know, uh, implement the system, his principles. And I think the fullbacks are so key. And as if you're watching this or listening to this, sorry, on Spotify, Rob has his Shaw Berto cup <laughs> or, up on, on screen. He loves it so much. But listen, Luke Shaw. Started the season. I mean, look, he was in the category of Henry Guire, right? You know, he wasn't playing, he was sitting yeah. on the bench, people were saying to sell him. Malacio came in, with Malacio's aggression, his tenacity, his his willingness to defend on the front foot, you know, meet his meet the opposition winger high up to try and win the ball was fantastic. We saw that in the Liverpool game. I absolutely love Malaysia. I think it's great to have an option like him. He's still young though. We didn't see enough of his um progressiveness, his ability to go forward, his passing. Um, unfortunately. But I think there a lot to, that was a lot to do with the way that Ten Hag had set up. Uh, Dalo was doing more of the progressive uh, activities on that right-hand side. Luke Shaw has come back in. And I said this to you off and I'm going to say this again. We know how good Luke Shaw was pre-injury. You know, the horrific injury under Louis van Gaal. He was amazing. Still very, very young. We also saw him uh, leading up to Euros. He was, he was the best fullback probably in Europe at the time, scored in the European final. Again, had a great season under Oli. But I think this is the most complete and the best I've ever seen Luke Shaw. And this is without the goals. He's got a couple of assists. Because I, for me, technically, he's been so sound. He's great on the ball. He looks like he's got so much time. He's a great passer. We know he's a good, great progressive passer. You can see that up on the screen. there, 76%. He's always been a progressive monster, to be honest, for Manchester United. And that was very key for Oli's system. We know he's a good passer to the ball, but what's really, really impressed me at the, you know, at this point in his career and what we're seeing right now, is that he's really aggressive, and that's what we haven't seen. Defense, defensively, he's got much better. He's almost knocking people out of the way as well. It looks like you know what we're seeing with Martinez is rubbed off on him, and he just looks like he's got more time than any other fullback on the pitch. He's, he's top class, and right now the way he's playing, he's world class. A lot of people say, "Oh, Luke Shaw, he only plays well when he has competition." Maybe. But the way he's playing right now, he's elevated, you know, the sides since he's come back in. And I mean, Ten Hag has done a great job with him, and I'm really excited to see what else he can do because I think when we look at his talent, this is a player that we bought years and years ago, didn't we? At Southampton, we spent 30 million on an 18-year-old to come in and become that left hand, a left fullback for Man United for years and years. He's been up and down, had a horrible injury, but he is looking like an absolutely top-quality left fullback right now. And yeah. Hopefully he can add a couple of goals to his game as well. But he's he's a great player and he's playing really really well.
1: Yeah, he is, and uh, you know this is why when when Malashia was having his run, and obviously Shaw was out the, out the team with illness and with uh, with injury. You know, the kind of, again, the knee-jerk rubbish of sell or, oh, this English tax, you know, if it's an English player, they get more time and all this. It's not true. None of it's true. The manager doesn't care what nationality a player is. He just wants, he wants to look at metrics and he wants to see performances. So here's Luke Shaw's metric since he came back into the team. 629 minutes versus all the other pool, fullbacks in the Premier League. This is what these stats are. And you can totally see that he's just doing it. Yeah, so he's up there right at the top end for th- things like assists, shot creating actions, which is massive on that side of the pitch on the left. Passes attempted, passes completed, progressive passes, interceptions, blocks, aerials uh, one, which is something you wouldn't normally kind of, Uh, go with Luke Shaw in terms he's not the biggest player but it shows that he can do all the physical work but he can do all the technical work so as far as comparing him to Malassia he's just a better footballer than Malassia in all fundamental parts of the game on the left hand side Uh, Malassia I think it's going to be good to be on the bench this year both as backup as left back and right back not necessarily as a starter unless you get injuries but this is the Luke Shaw from You know, 12 months ago. I kind of agree with what you were saying there. I think this is probably the best version of Luke Shaw we've ever seen. But I think that's actually something to do with the tactics. The tactics are better. So Luke Shaw looks better. Players look better with better tactics. Varane looked rubbish last year, didn't he? This year, Varane looks pretty good. So I think that all of those things do mix and match. And I think with Luke Shaw, I've always got patience with him because, you know, when I did see him as a kid, when he was like 17, 18 at Southampton, he was otherworldly, world was kind of top-rated 18-year-old in the world in all positions. I uh, was very happy when Man United got hold of him and signed him. And I think it's something you have to be patient with. He's, he's getting now to a point where he's no longer a kid, you know, in his mid to late 20s. But you're hoping now that if he can avoid injury that you're going to get the best version of Luke Shaw for the next two, three, four years. And that means, Hadar, at least you've got one position you're not worried about. Man United, there's always multiple positions to think about. But if you've got a left back and say someone like malasia who can be a, a very able deputy, and you cannot worry about your fullback position, then that's a big weight taken off the manager's mind.
0: Rob, just a quick question. I know this is not really United related, but it is related to England. We're both England fans. Alan's asking, thoughts on which United players make the England squad? I think Shaw starts, Maguire and Rashford make the squad, but maybe bench players, Sancho zero chance. I think Luke Shaw starts. I would start Marcus Rashford Rashford off that left-hand side over someone like Sterling, who's uh, angry I think Marcus has probably been the best uh, left-hand side player probably in the Premier League, and we will talk about him a little bit later. I would bench Maguire, but Maguire is going to start because he'll play in that, you know, that back three. And and that's where he excels. But this is why when you said earlier, I know you said earlier about Maguire that I know you're sort of tongue in cheek, but if you guys wins a World, World Cup and et cetera, you know, he expects to come back. Like, it's just not comparable, but I know I know you were joking and you were kind of making a point. But um, I think Maguire will start. I think Sancho will start. I think Rashford should start as well. Uh, sorry, not Sancho. Sorry, no. I'm, I mean, Luke Shaw, not Sancho. Sancho, won't make the cut I don't think so that's it really three players and I think they're three players that you know Southgate does trust and um I think they're players that could have good tournaments as well
1: they're all Southgate boys so I think they'll go it would be horrendous if Rashford didn't go when you look at the players who who are kind of in and out of the squad of course there's been now a big question mark over Saka so you need someone who can kind of play in wider areas and also play up top so I think Rashford's form is that will dictate that he's in the squad. Luke Shaw will be the starting left back. And I said this poor Harry Maguire did, doesn't need to play a minute of football, at man, United for him to be the starter for England, yeah. but England haven't really got a lot of options at center back. So like, if you want to play Connor Cody, great, but I don't want to play Connor Cody. So it's going to be Harry Maguire. So, I think when you kind of look at uh, the England squads, uh, United haven't got loads of players. Uh, Jaden Sancho, unfortunately for us at Manchester United, is not in any kind of form. He's he's in the worst form, I think, since he's been at the club. I was saying this uh, actually on the game on, on Sunday, that he he was Ill, Ill about five weeks ago. He had illness, kind of COVID-related symptoms, but not COVID, but something similar. Uh, from that five, six weeks ago when he was ill, he hasn't looked the same. So take of that what you will. Whereas he started the season, he was on fire. He looked really, really really good good. Really good. Yeah, as well. he 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 looked he looked buoyant. He looked good, and I think the thing is with with Ten Hag is that he's just managing Jaden in the correct way now. So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm I'll manage your minutes. I'll sit you on the bench, but unfortunately, you're not going to be able to go out there and prove yourself for the England squad. Because I'm sure Jaden Sancho would love to do that, but if you're hurting Man United in any way, shape, or form, you got to go sit on the bench. That's just the way it is. So Jaden won't go to the World Cup. And do you know what? Haydar keeps saying this. I'm quite happy if none of our players go to the World Cup. I'm not yeah, interested yeah. if any of our players go to the World Cup and win it really not interested and there's always bragging rights around that I'm looking at Rafa Varane and I'm thinking mm, maybe better if you have the World Cup off mate but of course Varane will want to go and play in the World Cup so you just saw with Paul Pogba it's been announced today that Paul Pogba uh, won't be going to the World Cup because he's injured and thankfully he's not at Manchester United so we're not having to have that conversation because it would be the biggest talking uh, point wouldn't it that Pogba's knee hasn't held up again and uh, and now he's not going to the World Cup and he's he's distraught about that so united players obviously a lot of the players will be going anyway because they're internationals but i just hope that their world cup minutes are restricted or they come back at least healthy because we hit the ground running as soon as the world cup finishes we got a game on the 27th of december straight away there's no rest time for these players we need to get them back at united and playing for us
0: unfortunately i think the the cases that united have a lot of a lot of players that will play in the World Cup. Fred and, Fred and Casemiro will both start. Yeah. You have a look at them. Dallo will start. Ronaldo will play as well. Mm-hmm. Marcus, most likely. Shaw, Maguire, you know, I know Maguire posts on the bench. Rafa will start with plays. Lissandro is definitely. Martinez is definitely going to start. So that's United. Bruno, one.
1: Bruno Ericsson, will start.
0: Yeah, yeah Ericsson will start. he's sitting at home. Obviously, he didn't make the. He's not making the squad. Yeah, his ball playing abilities. Luis Enrique is not a fan. But that's literally United's whole. Uh, starting 11, and then you have a look at the bench as well. Uh, if Martial makes it, if he's fit, uh, you know, and there's a few other players, maybe Gonacha might make the squad as well, Van der Beek So, yeah, United you know, got a lot of players going, so it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting one to see, hopefully, no injuries.
1: United United will be doing warm weather training all the way through the World Cup. So the players that don't go will be still on duty with the club and they will be touring. I believe that the game today has been announced against Cadiz uh, for, I think, the 7th of December. So United are going to keep, you know, the the kettle boiling. So Ten Hag and the lads are not having a rest. So Jadon Sancho will be playing football. It's just that he might not be playing it in Qatar. He might be playing it in Cadiz for Man United.
0: Let's move on, Rob. Now to Diogo Dallo as well, mm-hmm. the uh, other fullback with who's had fantastic numbers this season. There was always a little bit of a doubt around Dallo, especially you. I think you know I was more of a fan of Dallo than you, but I, I also did appreciate that you know on the back foot that was a massive areas game where he was weak. Having a look at the statistics here up on screen from FBref, now you can see here total shots compared to other fullbacks in the Premier League, he's in the 87th percentile. So we've seen that a lot, haven't we? We've seen he's got quite a wicked shot on him. We've seen that uh, in terms of expected, uh, sorry, assists, he's in the 64th percentile. Passes attempted as well. The surprising one was progressive passes. You know, On the mm. eye, we look at Dallow and, he, and he's very, very progressive. But actually, we've seen that more from Luke Shaw. I think that changed since Molassia has come out and Shaw has come in. I think we've seen that Dallow's uh, duties, let's say, to be the more progressive one has actually decreased. But he is playing inverted. He is offering uh, you know, a lot of uh, attacking threat going forward. Touches as you can see in the attacking penalty area, he's got he's an 84 percentile, so he's getting forward. And uh, we've seen he's got a good eye for goal. Interceptions fantastic, 79 percentile, aerial duels one as well. He made three or four key headers in he in that West Ham game. Did yeah, so, good. so good. Um, I said to you off air, if that was Wan bissaka United would have lost three or four one. Um obviously let's forget about Wan but just from your perspective on Dallow, because I know that you've been a doubter of Dallo, United are looking for another right back. Ten Hag said this. After the game, we need two good fullbacks on each side. He's got down the yeah. left-hand side. He knows yeah. on the right-hand side. We know that Jeremy Frimpong from, I believe, Bayer vikusen I think, yeah, has been linked. I can't say I've seen a lot of him, but I've heard, you know, going forward, and, and maybe that's another masterclass show that we can do. We can get some, uh, a Bundesliga expert on to discuss that. But apparently going forward, he's fantastic. You know, he's very progressive. He's got good attacking returns. Defensively, it might be an issue. But we've seen that Ten Hag can improve Dallo. So there's no reason why he can't find someone with great attributes and then improve that side of the game as well.
1: Could he do it with Wambasaka? Save you a lot of money, wouldn't it? So, like, again, I think the thing is like, we have faith in some players and faith you know, no faith in other players. And there are reasons for that, you know, how we feel about it, what we see. And I think with Deleuze, the the jury still for me is out. This These metrics here are really, really good. They're really consistent. They're really strong. It's done over a thousand minutes of Premier League football. So I want to see this after 2000 minutes. That's kind of how I look at this. Can he maintain this kind of form? Defensively, it's night and day. He's so much better defensively than he was six months, 12 months ago. Where well, I think 12 months ago, he was every bit as bad as Wan-Bissaka at the back post. And you saw against West Ham, there were two or three times we got under the ball and got really good contact on the ball at the back post. He was timing it. It was really... And that's one of West Ham's strengths in their 4-4-2, is that they can overload the back post and kind of expose one of the fullbacks backs so and the fullbacks isn't doing it. I think what you, what you see here... And this is why I, I mentioned wan Like well, we won't talk too much about him because obviously he's not played this year. But there is definitely, when you look at what Wan strengths and weaknesses are, he could give you balance metrics like we're seeing here. So as you said there, <laughs> there's nothing hugely progressive about what DeLo's doing here. But what DeLo's doing is not allowing it go this way as well. So he's like, I'm coming inwards. So I think that's the difference with the two players. DeLo can do the Cancello role, come narrow, invert. And be a ball player in there. So we look at the stats here. Where does it kind of uh, show it? Things like interceptions and that area of the pitch. He's helping the midfield and intercepting the ball. Counter pressing. That's why he comes in there. The question is, could someone like Wambasaka could do that? Jury's out. We don't know until we actually see it. We would not know that. You know, we have to actually see it. But you heard what the manager said, and you just quoted him there, and he did say he went, "I need two good right backs." So it kind of tells you what he thinks about Wambasaka However, if Delo goes and breaks his leg at a World Cup, guess who's going to be a starting right-back? So I think kind of when you look at this with Malassia playing on the right-hand side as well and you look at Wambasaka there's opportunities for those two there as well. But Delo has made this, this position his own congratulations to him, and we want to see more now. I want to see him getting more assists. You know, he's not not bad, at it, is he? You know, but I want to see him getting more progressive and, dare I say it, more Concello. Concello's the best in the world at it and, you know, absolutely fabulous player. But I think the low can just give you a little bit, tiny bit more. But his form is fantastic at the moment. He's really done well in the last few months.
0: Absolutely. And it's a sign to the rest of the squad, Rob. You know, Dalo's been the main night like, for two or three years. Yeah. Obviously, under came under... Under Jose Mourinho, Jose was very spoke very very highly of him. Oli came in, didn't want anything to do with him. Sent out on loan to Milan as well. Didn't do great there. Didn't really pull up trees. Ten Hag comes in, gets his head down, works so I really like. He's showing a lot of leadership qualities. I'm really liking his attitude. He's he's uh he's he's a fantastic uh, addition. He's almost like a new signing. I hate that term, but he almost is because you know he's hardly played when he was here before. So I almost he, he is young, but I feel like almost he missed out on some crucial development, you know, in terms of the last few seasons. He hasn't played regularly week in, week out. So he's almost learning these. It's like he's almost two years behind where he should actually be. This this is kind of how I see it with him. And there's a lot of players that do are in that situation. You know, They come in, they're really highly rated. They don't have a great two years or so. Uh, you know, they go out on loan, uns- unsuccessful loans. They come back in. So I think, you know, I'm happy to be patient and see what happens. But, you know, he does need a... A right back,
1: you know, maybe well, someone
0: like Frimpong or something to come. Well, you said that, that Frimp-
1: Yeah, you said that Frimpong. Frimpong is really good going forward, yeah, and really bad backwards. Yeah. so it's one of those things. But we've not been, we've not mentioned Ethan Led. So let's see what happens in terms of his development at football club. He's been very good
0: uh, at QPR. Apparently, a lot of QPR fans are raving it- about him.
1: There we go. Two and Zabi's coming back into fitness now. So he might get used on the right hand side. And of course, I think the big sign in there depends on how you want to kind of look at it is, um, is Timber. So you could bring Timber in at the end of the season because you've decided right back is important and you want someone that can invert and play central and, Timber would probably be the best in Europe at that. You know, he'll be able to come into central midfield and be a, you know strong as an ox in there, but not give the ball away and do all the things that you want Deleuze to do. So uh, that's the balancing point, I think, for Ten Hag, is that he won't feel stressed that he needs to go and buy a, a full tomorrow. But he has made it c- clear that that's one of the positions he'll be looking at. And we all know that right-back has been a weakness for Man United for many years. Yeah, good point on Timber.
0: Actually, when, when I've seen him play, I look, I, don't, I cannot see a person. I can't see a scenario where Ten Hag goes, I'll have Timber and Martinez as my two centre backs. You know, you got five foot eight, five foot nine centre backs in the Premier League. No one's ever done it before. Is there a manager that can make it happen? Maybe Ten Hag could, but I always look at Timber and I think he's so his decision making is so good at such a young age. He's he always picks the right decision. He's so good on the ball. He's so good at reading the game that he could even slot into midfield. Yeah. Or as a right back, I always felt like those were the two positions based on the hype. But then we thought the same with Martinez, right? As soon as he came in, first two games, game into that midfield position. But we've got a midfielder playing at center back, playing those beautiful line breaking passes, threading the ball into the midfield, you know, and, and it's just changed the way United plays. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think that you know United will have a new right back coming in, and hopefully Dalla can take his game to the next level again. Let's talk about the forwards. Rob, the forward metrics. We'll start with Marcus Rashford. Massive congratulations. You know, he's 100 goals for night, The 21st player to do that. It's no mean feat, you know. It's, it's such a big achievement. He's had a fantastic season. There was a question earlier from Morton, I believe, asking, or it might have been Allen asking, which player do you think is the most improved under Ten Hag? People were saying Dallow. I think it's Marcus Rashford for me, to be honest. Considering where he was last season, there's a big... Um, I think a lot of people that do say negative things about Marcus Rashford are people that like Ronaldo. You're saying, oh, Ronaldo would have scored this, would have scored that. Marcus Rashford, for some reason, seems to get a lot of hate. He's had had two amazing seasons under Oli. You know, you're looking at 30 plus goals and assists, completely overlooked, broke his back, really, really struggled. Awful under Ranić, to be honest with you. Not many players were great under him. But the way he's come back this season has been fantastic. You just look at some of his metrics as well. Progressive passes, 90th percentile. Dribbles complete, 94th percentile amongst the best in Europe. He's scoring goals. Amazing header, almost Ronaldo-esque, that header against West Ham to win the game. He is looking like the markers of old and he looks happy again. He's enjoying his football. You know, he's he's a fantastic human being. We've seen what he's done off the pitch. We're really lucky to have him at the club. I really do believe that. And I'm loving what I'm seeing him under Ten Hag. And it's obvious that he's got the trust of his manager. I think that's maybe what he needed, right? After the injuries. And then, you know, we saw Rania come in. These little things, these intangibles, I think people forget his players are human beings. Sometimes they need an arm around the shoulder, that environment, that trust, the manager to turn around and say, you know, I believe in you. These are little things that we maybe overlook as fans. We're all guilty of that. I'm the same as well. So from what I've seen from Marcus Rashford, I'm really happy with what I've seen. And having a look at these metrics, you can see why he's been starting as a number nine for May Night over Leicester Ronaldo.
1: Well, the metrics are fantastic this season. So again, this is over nearly a thousand minutes. Uh, And he's really come back into form. You know, he was talking after the game and he was really honest. And he talked, he didn't talk directly about his mental health, but he did say, he said, last season, you know, there was a problem with my motivation. He was like, I was finding it hard to do stuff. Just wasn't doing it. And it was, you could see it. Like we would watch games. He'd be like 20 yards in front of us and we'd be like, he looks like a ghost. It's not Marcus Rashford. That's someone else. Couldn't run the line. Couldn't give you anything. This year, he's doing that. I think last year, a lot of that was a transition around United. So he was one of Ole's boys. You know, Ole had a big faith in him. Ole gets the sack. You bring in Ralph Ranić, it doesn't work out. Personalities like oil and water. So that didn't help Marcus, I think, in terms of his own personal form. I think now he's got a coach that believes in him and he believes in the coach. And you're seeing a different player. Um, played, a fair chunk this season as the nine. Still think he's better coming off the left. But then there's a problem with that. Why? Because you want to play Jadon Sancho on the left. Sancho probably gives you more creativity there. He probably is more of, uh, of an assist from that part of the park. But Rashford can give you straight line speed through the channel. So you, you kind of look at these things of the progressive passes. Things that we say he's not good at, right? So he's always say, don't we, oh, he's not good at passing the ball. Well he's he's like he's like in the top 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 echelon of the Premier League in his position of playing pro- progressive passes and you know what he's also good at dribbling. So he does those two things that every wide player you want to do, and he does it better than absolutely everyone else in England. So this is the thing when we talk about Marcus Rashford, and I I absolutely know that people have weird opinions about stuff, whether it be about Marcus feeding the poor and all of this stuff, or Marcus being a charity uh, person, you know, and Marcus, you know, talking to government and all that stuff, and fans getting kind of weirded out and put off by that. I mean, the truth is the metrics say it all loud and clear. The truth is there for you to see. If you cannot see it yourself on a football pitch, and I know some fans don't, the metrics tell you that Marcus Rashford is doing it. He's doing it with a bit of swagger. He got his 100th goal at 24 years old. Obviously, today is his birthday. Happy 25th birthday, Marcus. Overall, Marcus Rashford's a huge part of this team now, and this squad. And and I think it was... Uh, I'm trying to think it was uh, said after the game. I think it was uh, Luke Shaw as well and a couple of others. They all said... Oh, David De Gea said it. David De Gea said Marcus Rashford. He went, Marcus Rashford could be one of the best players in the world. I really believe that. He's got everything. I watch him every day. He's got everything. So for us, it's just about Marcus maybe being more clinical at times, putting the ball in the net. But these, these stats tell you that is exactly what he is doing. So, again, long mate, continue. This is our, our 946 minutes of Premier League football. Let's see what this is like, Haydar, after 2,000 minutes. Let's see what this is like after a World Cup. And hopefully, Marcus can keep his fitness and his form.
0: Let's bring up Ronaldo, Rob, because I think, you know, we have to compare the two. We've seen yeah. Ronaldo start games at number nine and Marcus go back off, go on to the left. Before we go into Ronaldo and drill into some of the the figures, do you think that, and I've been thinking about this, because Sancho has been so poor, if Sancho was playing at his capacity and potential, Ronaldo probably would be playing less games when he, like Marcus would be playing as a Oh,
1: line. yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, yeah, look, if Sancho and Martial were both fit and on form, then Ronaldo, like, Ronaldo's played a lot more minutes than I expected him to like he, he he's had a run of games hasn't he really he's been in the team consistently since he came back from his uh, a period of of not not being at pre-season and obviously the issues that he's had this year but he's played a lot of minutes hasn't he so i think when you kind of look at it he's got a body of work now like this is this is like based on uh, like to, this is 2000 minutes of everything yeah and trying to look at his game he can do these things for you like we we're going to show that as I said, green doesn't always mean good and red doesn't always mean bad. But I think with Cristiano, the lack of that movement up top is the killer here. And as you highlighted before, Haydar, before we went live, his heat map is just such a mess. It's, it's, it's a, such a mess for a number nine. He's just literally going wherever he wants. It's just, it's it's kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's drill into some of those, um, some of those bars. You know, the, the green bars that look good but aren't. Particularly good, so I think the non-penalty xG. So that suggests that he's getting a lot of chances, right? And you can see yeah. that as well. You're getting the shots total. He's in the 99th percentile. He's almost having four shots per game. But we've seen, you know, over the last two or three games at least, we've seen it before. But last two or three, two or three games, he's up to speed now. People are saying, "Oh, he hasn't had a preseason. All this, this, and this." He's up to speed now. I think he's played. He's played enough minutes to be able to to judge him properly and not say match fitness is a problem. But against West Ham. I honestly didn't feel at any stage he was going to score with those chances. So it puts yeah. to bed the uh, oh Ronaldo would have scored that when Marcus missed missed a couple of chances against Chelsea. So that's a concern because you have Cristiano Ronaldo. Look, in a one-one situation, if there's one person in the the squad I want to take to take that opportunity, it'll be Ronaldo because he's still most pro- probably the best finisher at the club but the issue is that he's not doing those things that he was so good at so before you know we talk about the, the penalty box number nine let's say for example we knew that when he came that if he had a chance in the box he'd score but he's not doing yeah. that now so what's the benefit of having him in the, t- in the team there doesn't yeah, seem totally. to
1: be a lot it's difficult isn't it because this is the thing is that uh, he's living on legend that's what it is. And, you know, we debated before, didn't we? You know, we were saying about is this last season thing? Because we were looking at the metrics and kind of going, it's a little bit weird, wasn't it? At the bottom there, it's saying that it's statistically going up back to 2021. So I, I, I didn't know it's that either, but this is SOFA score for this season. So it's like it's all mixed in with those numbers of two. 2,400 minutes. He's not obviously not played 2,400 minutes this year, is he? But when you look at him, yeah, he will score goals if you get the ball to him in a certain part of the box. That's what he does, isn't it? He loves that. You get the ball to him and he's got space. He'll probably nail the target. Cristiano will be doing that till he's 45 years old. He will always nail the target. But if you're playing now with a manager that wants to press, you look at the bottom half here, looking at the, the off-the-ball metrics, essentially tackles, interceptions, and blocks. He is a ghost, you know, in those moments. And and it felt like that against West Ham. I don't know what you felt, Haydar, but it just, again, felt that when West Ham wanted to play out from the back, they just could because there was no bother from a number nine. No number nine was really kind of doing any of that work. Uh, I can't believe you played 90 minutes against West Ham. I was like, I was shocked. You know, I was really like, you need to be able to change this. And I think, you know, say that game, you'd lost it 2-1. We would have been doing a different show today. I'd have been saying, "Right, why did Ten Hag leave Ronaldo on the pitch for ninety minutes when that pressing was a was a big mess?" You know, later on in the game, you just need someone that runs it, doesn't it? Someone that actually does that work. Yes, Cristiano will always be a great goal scorer, but he's not really putting the ball in the net this season. You know, he's struggling with that. And off the ball is like his interceptions and blocks. He just simply cannot press. He can't do it at thirty-seven. He's never ever been able to do it even when he was 25 he wasn't really good at that part of the game
0: yeah absolutely I think you're spot on when you say living on legend and this is what people can't see you know I don't want to go into it again but like my last point on it is that you know what we're seeing on the pitch we, you can appreciate the legend the legacy that what we've seen from Cristiano Ronaldo is things we've maybe never seen on the football pitch you know you don't score 700 goals if you're if you're not an incredibly gifted footballer mm-hmm. and Back in the day, you would, wouldn't you? Sir so Alex did put up with the the things that he didn't do because of the fact that he was so good at the other things that players couldn't do. But when he doesn't offer that, you can't have him in the pitch, and it's detrimental to the team. And we're seeing that week in week out. Look, United won the game, but ultimately, at the end of the day, when everyone's fit, he, he's he's third choice striker for me, uh, and and that's the way it has to be. So, yeah, um, I think Ten Hag knows that as well. I think United need to find a solution to 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 Ronaldo, to Ronaldo as well. But well, ultimately he has to understand i think that's very funny because obviously he blanked gary neville now didn't he he's just a child it's just you know this is this is my favorite player growing up uh, almost of all time you know with david beckham and it's just it's just it's just childish like it's
1: pathetic like, though isn't it yeah, it's it's up. pathetic and it's and, and and he's he's uber aware that his actions everything he does because of who he is is taken notice of and i think you Know you heard a lot about this, I think at the back end of Real Madrid, you heard a lot about this in Juventus about how he would play on a lot of this stuff, and people kind of say, Well, I don't really like that, we're not into it. Well, we knew Cristiano before he went to Real Madrid, and he wasn't really like this, but he's he's worse now than he's ever been. Do you know what I mean? You just said there about how Sir Alex used to protect him. I think when they played a 4-4-2 and he would be coming off the left-hand side, is that the three would shift across in midfield and look after. That's all they did. It wasn't a big tactical change It allowed United to, to look after Ronaldo. You can't do that in the modern game. You can't have your number nine basically checking out the game. And that's really what it felt like against West Ham. There were so many times you dropped deep. And then just times where the ball would go past him and he would be like, well, I, I don't need to do anything here, do I? I just wait for it to come back to me at some point. Oh, no, look, they've had a shot and De Gea has saved it again. So he doesn't help you enough, Haydar. And again, like we're not going to go mad on Cristiano. It, it is what it is. He will leave the football club at some point. And there's no, t- <laughs> the manager totally knows what Cristiano is, what he can give you, but more importantly, what he is not giving you.
0: Just uh props props to Ten Hag for the way he's managed the whole situation. I think Brilliant. He's been fantastic. He he's, Brilliant. that was my biggest concern when he came in. He has managed big egos. Can he do it?
1: Yeah. Oh, he
0: can do it. If you can manage Cristiano Ronaldo, he can manage anybody in the world. Uh last last point I want to make is that you know someone I saw someone say this um regarding Zlatan. Like Zlatan has adapted adapted his game, didn't he? He knew that you know he'd lost a little bit of pace, so he played on the last man when he's at United. He didn't really drop deep as much. If Ronaldo just did that, it just benefited the side. So I yeah. think that was an interesting comparison that we've seen. And I think Zlatan is Zlatan's got an ego as big as as big as Jupiter, but I do think that Zlatan is actually all about the team as well. You hear all the stories about even at Milan, they won the title last season, haven't won it for years. And the way that he, you know, sort of brought Leao and all these other players under his wing. And he's the ultimate, ultimate player that you want in that dressing room to 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 you know to guide the young players. I just don't really see that with Cristiano as well. So you know, I thought he'd come in and maybe he'd he'd do that with the young players, but it seems that almost his petulance because he's not playing is just such a bad example. So that's the most disappointing thing for me because age catches everyone, right? Like there's not even Ronaldo. He's thirty-eight years old. No other thirty-eight-year-old could be doing what he's doing. So he's actually doing something. I think that most players. Wayne Rooney hit. You know, didn't look after himself. We know that. We hit thirty, and he was in decline. So. The fact he's even playing in main United, leading the line, is an incredible achievement. We know that he's got such high standards for himself, but he he's almost in denial of what's happening, and and that's he, he looks like a child, I think. And, and you've got a lot of young players like Goncalo playing with their idol. And I, I just don't think it's a good look, personally.
1: It's not a good look, and it's something that we could do without. Let's be honest, you know. And I don't think Cristiano, if he was scoring the goals and is in, in incredible form and proving everyone wrong, fair enough. I'd be all right with it. I'd go, oh, well, you know, he's not the long-term option, but you're scoring your goals. So you get on with it and you you live with it and you're happy that you're winning games because of it. But overall, I think he's a, he's a, he's a problem at the football club that he, he adds a dysfunctional element to the squad and to the attack that you could just do without no one else would get away with it. And that's the problem that I have with it is that, there's, there's no one else in the squad that you would kind of go, oh, yeah, like we just said, Rashford. Rashford gets tons of stick just for being Marcus Rashford, doesn't he? That's just the truth, it's just how it goes. Cristiano Ronaldo is the opposite. Gets loads of kudos just because he's Cristiano Ronaldo, you know but he's not really helping Man United's attack. And, and if United want to press in the weeks ahead, we've all got to pray that Anthony Martial gets fit as soon as possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Rob, the final segment of the show, we will talk about Bruno Fernandes. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm going to let you take this because I didn't actually notice this in the game actually until I saw a video on Twitter uh, from someone sitting in, in the stadium. So I think it was a bit more obvious when you are sitting in the stadium. So just talk to listeners about what you saw. Final whistle, De Gea saving Man United, everyone really, really happy. What was Bruno Fernandes doing in that
1: instance? I've got, I'm starting to have a problem with Bruno Fernandes. Like, uh, when I'm in the stadium and as a fan, I'm like everyone else. I sing and shout and scream and cry and enjoy the moment that's what we're there for, that's why we do it, you know. <laughs> at the end of the game, the first person we all thought about when, when Final Whistle went was obviously David De Gea. And everyone kind of looked at David De Gea and everyone was singing his name and clapping towards him. You saw the players go and jump on him and you saw De Gea kind of giving it the kind of pumping moment like this. And it just kind of looked in front of me because I'm I'm on this side of the Stratford end on the, on the north stand. And Bruno was just on the kind of halfway line just walking back to the tunnel with his head down, like this, and it was odd. Like as I said, we're all celebrating and screaming and shouting, like because we've just won a game of football. The players are all screaming and shouting and all over each other, and because they've just won a game of football. And Bruno Fernandez, like a diva, is walking down towards the tunnel, not looking at the crowd, not clapping anyone. Stretford ends right in front of him. He could have, like you know, given it the old that no head down walking off. Bruno Fernandes is the de facto captain of the football club when Harry is not around. Obviously, Harry wears the armband when he plays. Bruno Fernandes is not a leader. So Bruno Fernandes came to Man United with this big reputation of being a really good captain, didn't he, at sport? And it was like, you know, he, he wears his heart in his sleeve. And he does, doesn't he? We know he does. But there are parts of his game that are becoming a problem. I think playing with Ronaldo for him is a huge problem because when Ronaldo checks out... He's then forced to take the space up in front. That's a big issue for him. It means he's doing extra work. It'd be easier for him to kind of just sit deeper and play with the ball. Um, But in that last 15, 20 minutes, you know, we saw it in the game that when he went to the right-hand side, he was clearly perturbed, talking to himself, throwing his arms up in the air. We were again all a bit like, what's wrong with him? Why is he... Why is he having a go at himself? You know, you're in the middle of a game of football here. He clearly didn't like that the manager asked him to play on the right-hand side of that. Two times now,
0: he's asked awesome him to do that. He did it against Chelsea as well.
1: And, and you do it because tactically it's the right thing to do. You know, so, you, you know, you haven't got any Anthony. You take a langer off. The best player on that side probably would be Bruno. You want to keep it narrow. You want ball players on the pitch. You keep Bruno there. Otherwise, hayden what do you do? You bring Bruno off. So Bruno would rather stay on the football pitcher. Get on with your job, mate. So I think in that last 10 or 15 minutes, there was one play right towards the end. He did get booked late, and that means he's now suspended for the Aston Villa game. Um, And I think when you kind of looked at what he was doing on the ball with five, 10 minutes to go, it's just so bad. Like there was one bit where where we were counter-attacking And there was like players streaming down the outside. He was in the middle. Ronaldo's up top. You got Rashford running off there. And I think you had McTominay running off. And it was just, it was too easy, just play one of them in. And he just kind of lobbed the ball to the right and chased after it. And you were like, what are you doing? And you saw the, the crowd reacted quite angrily towards him because everyone was tense. Uh, so I don't know that affected him because then a few minutes later, the whistle's gone and he's walking off the pitch really moody. Um, but I, I think it's a problem. I mean, it's a problem. He's one of your senior players. He's one of your best players and you need him to be good consistently. And he's so hit or miss. He's just not good quite a lot, quite often. Um The consistency isn't there and we need to see a more consistent Bruno Fernandes. But more than that, Haydar, I want to see less of the vitriol now. I want to see less of the rolling around and hands in the air. I don't normally mind all that stuff. I'm all right with it. It's something that
0: But it is that, that just is it, that just Bruno? It's like it's like with Rooney. It's,
1: some players are like that. Yeah, it's not you it's know? not a problem. I don't like again a lot of people go, Oh, you know, we don't do that in English football. Yes, you do. I've seen it for years. England players roll around just as much as everyone else. It's it's nothing to do with nationality or any of that kind of jingoism that you hear about all the time. But Bruno Fernandez likes to have a moan, he likes the sound of his own voice, and he's quite selfish. And I would like to see Bruno Fernandes be more of a team player more of a leader and more helpful towards the cause. I'm not having a player walk off in front of us like that. And when we've won the game and just be all about himself and, and and I had a bit of a go at him. I, I, I'm not, not scared to say it. You know, I'm not, I don't normally do, I very rarely shout at a player, but I had a bit of a scream at him and told him what's what and a few choice words, because what are you doing? We're all here together. We're supposed to be Manchester United. And you do that all the time in your interviews, Bruno, all the time. I'm Manchester United. I love the club. It's in my heart. And all... Just won a game of football, a really hard, tough game of football, and you can't even be bothered to look at anyone. Head down, just a diva. More of a diva than Mariah Carey. So that's Bruno Fernandes in a nutshell. And I think we need more of the Bruno Fernandes that we knew in his first kind of 15 eight to eighteen months at the football club. I think for him he's compromised by Ronaldo Haido. I think that's the truth. No, I is was that...
0: about to say my, my sort of rebuttal to that is that yeah. He looks more frustrated when he plays with Ronaldo because they don't work massive Ronaldo obviously drops into that space. He's got to do more. I, I honestly think this is how I see Bruno Fernand. by the way I agree with pretty much everything you're saying. Uh i, I it's you know we complain about Ronaldo walking off the pitch like he did. I know that it was during the game, but Bruno's just done something similar in my opinion. Yeah. So he should have the same spotlight on him. And there is no spotlight on him. Basically, he's not Cristiano Ronaldo. I think every time Ronaldo plays, when they play together, he gets frustrated. I've seen it with Portugal as well. Ronaldo Actually, Bruno sits on the bench a lot of the time now because they don't work together. No, nope. United are a much better side when Ronaldo doesn't play and when Bruno Fernandes is playing well. So I understand that as a player, you know, that when it's not quite working for you he's obviously one of those players that wants to get on the score sheet he wants to impact games um we see that you know we we know what his qualities are but I do feel like when he doesn't impact games that's when the selfishness comes in and I think sometimes he forgets about the team uh, and then focuses just on his performance the other thing I want to add as well is him shifting out to that right hand side um like if the manager asks you to do something you've got to do it so He's twice now that he has complained about that. But I do also feel when he gets shifted out, Rob, United lose control of the game. It happened against Chelsea, where he moved to the right-hand side, and United's, in my opinion, United's um, threat did go with him. Now, it's going to be interesting to see what Ten Hag actually does, because Bruno is out... Does Eriksson move into that number ten position? Van der Beek's now back from injury. Does he play? Like it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens. What Ten Hag's thinking is: Does does Fred and McTominay come in with Casemiro, or does McTominay go and play as the most advanced player? It's going to be interesting. See, I actually think he should give Jaden Sancho a go at number ten. A lot of people are calling for it. I just want to see what I want to see what Jaden Sancho can do personally. He's very creative. He's good on the ball. My final point, actually, Rob, before I let you jump in, is that when it comes to captaincy, Bruno is a de facto captain. Next season, it has to be the Martinez, in my opinion,
1: yeah, because he's the popular one and we all love him, so we would love that, wouldn't we? So, you know, I, I he's, I a, think... leader, he's he, a leader,
0: Rob. Is he not a leader?
1: He's a leader, totally. He, he him is or Casemiro. The, he's a heart and soul. Um, I, I think the captaincy thing is up for debate. We it's it's a kind of it's one for another day because we've got to see how the season pans out more than anything, haven't we? Um Again, captaincy gets talked about more in England as something serious than it does in other parts of the world. It's just the truth. Uh, I I just think with Bruno, I just, I don't know. Like like you just said there about that United lose control of the game and all of that. And and I agree with that. I think the issue is, though, is on Bruno. So we talk a lot about Frederick McTominay giving the ball away for five yards. Bruno Fernandes is the worst player in the midfield at it. Is the worst. And he shouldn't be. He just needs to be calm and keep the ball and do what Ericsson does. Ericsson just glides around the football pitch and goes, well, now I'm a number eight and now I'm a number six. And now I've got to run back and look after this. And now I can get forward. Now I can play the killer pass. And it's all it all makes sense, doesn't it? His game is like fluent. Whereas you look at Bruno and it's fragmented. It's the opposite. Bruno is just like, I think when Ronaldo's on the pitch, you see that Bruno starts trying to play Hollywood passes and you're like, Don't do that. There's no need to do it. Just pass it sideways if you have to, or go backwards. Don't give the ball away. And you saw that in that moment there was that he gets compromised because he wants to find Ronaldo. Ronaldo is his hero. Ronaldo is his icon. And he's talked about it before, about playing with Ronaldo at Man United. is like his dream. It's like when he was a kid, he remembers watching Man United with Ronaldo, and now he's there doing it, living the dream. But that is not the dream. The dream is winning football matches. So you've got to help us win football matches. and. Like you just said, Dave, if you're told to go and play on the right-hand side, you go and do it with a big smile on your face. Go and do the job. Yeah, the manager tells you to play on the right, and you can play on the right, you go and play on the right. It's not like he's been asked to play full-back or centre-back. It's a position you can play. And and it should work. Like, Bruno can play that wide area. In the slide I put up there, I showed that his job on the right is to come in with the ball. He doesn't he doesn't have to hold the whip. He's not Anthony. Um so let's see with Bruno Fernandes. But there's too many things like that, Haydar. You talk about toxicity in the dressing room. Someone would have seen that. Players would have seen that, yeah? The players would have gone home. And someone would have seen that Bruno's just walking off with his head down. I guarantee you someone was in his ear to Carrington today or tomorrow. They'd have been like, what did you do that for?
0: Ken Hag would have been. Wrong. Of course he
1: would have done. The manager would have been in his ear. So that's good because I feel good about that. I don't, I'm not Standards. quite sure.
0: Standards have to be up here.
1: The standards have to be up there, and he's now suspended for a game. I like you saying they just to address what you said about Jaden Sancho. Jen Sancho, in his whole career, in the X games that he's played in Germany and England, has never ever played as number ten. So if we played him as number ten, it would be totally, totally on vibes and fumes. We we don't know anything. We don't know what he'd look like there. So I think when you're trying to win games, as we are, and we're trying to be in the top four. I don't know if you can do it yet, Haydar. I don't think you can. St- I don't think you can sacrifice that when you've got a number ten as good as Christian Eriksen, who's one of the best in the world at being that in that number ten position. But Marcus Rashford played as a ten a few games ago, didn't he? Two, three games ago, and looked really good behind Ronaldo because he just gives you pace from the ten. <laughs> the, the stats tell you again he actually makes the creative passes from there as well. So that's a bit weird, isn't it? Jadon Sancho is out of form. Jadon Sancho needs to go back to the training ground and practice and practice and practice and start doing some of the good stuff that he was doing before Haydar. I don't think we can drop him in there. I'd rather Donny van Der Beek as a number 10, a kind of ready-made number 10 who can do all that stuff, fits the system rather than crowbarring talent in. We've done it for too long, Hader pushing talent in and going, well, he's the best player. No, the best player is the one that helps you win the football match.
0: And Rob, that is a wrap, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for all your fantastic comments and uh, make sure you give, a like, hit, give it a like, hit the subscribe button, give us a follow on Twitter as well, at MC. Give me a follow on at Hader underscore B and give Rob a follow at underscore Rob underscore B. Rob, what's your final word before we go? Just briefly, because it's positive and I'm feeling positive about United again.
1: Yep, one goal conceded in six games. You look like a functioning football team now and you look like you've got a heart. And that's good. They're the things that I think Man United have been missing for a long time. So we can nitpick about Bruno and Ronaldo and talk about their attitudes. The way I look at it is this, is that if they don't want to come along for the journey, bye. I don't care who you are. You could be an icon. You could be a legend. You could be the captain of the club. If you're not in it with us to win it, then you can go. I feel really good about Man United and I have done for weeks, you know, even when we've lost games and things haven't gone our way. I just feel that this manager has got what we need to take this club forward. And I think 10 half sees the challenge here. I think he feels good about it. You still got to go into transfer window in January. You still got to go into transfer window next summer. Those windows are going to be really important now about whether you can push the club forward. Arsenal are the blueprint a year ago, bottom of the league, Now, top of the league. Man United should be looking at that, having a sniff and going, we couldn't do that. We can actually get to that position where we're going to take on City and Liverpool and push forward quickly and find a side of play. We have an identity now, Haydar. Now it's about expanding that.
0: Exciting times to be a United fan. As Pep Guardiola said, United are coming. We'll see you all next time.